Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Turn into the book of Matthew once again. Uh, we're going to be at Matthew 10 in a moment. Uh, for those of you that are trying to just you know read ahead, to try to get your heart kind of prepared for Sunday morning services. Next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. So you can read Matthew chapter 11, and then also Ezekiel 37. Matthew 11 and Ezekiel 37. Those will be the two places that we spend uh, our the most time next week. Now, the first week when we got together and we started talking about this hope epidemic, we looked at Matthew 5, verse 13, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And so you and I are, are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We have been branded by Christ to be his representatives in this world, to, to be the salt, to, to be the flavor in this culture, not for us to be changed by culture, but for us to enter into the culture and to make a difference around us. And because we have Christ in us, we understand the hope, everlasting life that he has given to us. We understand his love he's poured into our hearts. We understand his kindness. And because he has given us his loving kindness, we want to take that and extend it to others. And so, We are trying to carry hope with us everywhere that we go, finding opportunities to reach out to people all around us who are hopeless, who need to know that there is hope available to them through Jesus Christ. And so we're branded by Christ to be his representative. So this is the hope epidemic. Then the second week when we got together, we talked about hope and doubt. And we were in Matthew 8 and in Mark 9, and I talked about the valley of if that there's these valleys of doubt in our lives. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We talked about the fact that hope and doubt, they're they're linked. It it, it causes us, it it causes us to move in the direction of hope when we have doubt, so they work hand in hand. And then we got together last week and we talked about the face of hope when we were in Matthew chapter nine and we talked about uh, Matthew, who's a tax collector being called by God. We talked about other tax collectors who had been transformed, other sinners, who had experienced Jesus Christ, and as a result of that experience, now they began to be the ones who were dispensing hope. The dispensers of hope are the people who at one point have known hopelessness. So for those of us who understood our hopelessness, our separation from God because of our sin, and then we understood that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he transformed our hopelessness into an everlasting hope, a certain hope of a future with him, now we become the best people to dispense this hope to others. That's why I'm saying you and I need to look with eyes of kindness to the world around us so that we might share the hope and love of God and not keep it just to ourselves. So today we're going to be in Matthew and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10. Now, four weeks into this, I I know that there are people in this room and people in our communities who've been blessed because of you, because you have been sharing hope with them. I also know that there are people in the room who have not yet engaged in this journey. And it's not because you don't, uh, you don't want to, it's not because you like, hate the idea of hope, like I don't wanna give hope to anybody, it's just simply because you haven't translated the message of hope to the action of hope. I mean, you've heard about it, you just haven't taken action yet. And I'm not sure why you haven't acted on sharing hope with somebody else, being kind to them. Maybe you're looking for just the right 
opportunity, like the right person at the right time. Maybe you think God's gonna you know, send lightning and thunder and you're like, oh, that's the person I've got to help. And so you're waiting for that moment. I don't know if you're afraid to extend hope. Some of you may be still hanging on to those uh, Dairy Queen Dilly bars that we, we passed out, just waiting for the right person. Do it, don't be afraid. Start to move in the direction and say, God, who can I bless? Help my eyes to be open to the people that I can minister to in my neighborhood and at my workplace or at school. I don't know what's holding you back. So today what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about taking this concept of hope, which is typically not like us, and make it something that's a part of us, that we can actually begin to live this out. And so I think for all of us, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ in this room, we want to actually live out what Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter six. When he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and we read this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's our desire. We're saying, God, we want you to get glory. God, you you are glorious, and I want you to get glory. And then Jesus prays, your kingdom come, right? Like, we want the kingdom of Satan to be squashed and diminished, and we want God's kingdom to be advanced. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, we want to submit to you. We want to have the will to carry out your kingdom in this world right now. What we're saying is, God, we want up there to come down here. And we want that to happen right now. And this is the message of hope. And this is the message of the gospel, that up there, the kingdom of God would come down here and we would live it out. It is, it is this up here, up there, down here kind of thing that is the gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God, became Emmanuel, God with us. Fully God, fully man. And then he shows us what the Father is like by saying, when you have seen the Father, or when you see me, you see the Father. The Father and I, we're one. So I, I get to show you what he is like. Up there has come down here. And then Jesus ministers to people around him. He, he shows them love and kindness. He reaches across social lines, economic lines, ministering to people that others would begin to shun. And so he begins to show us how to love one another. So this ministry becomes not just vertical with a relationship with God, Now it becomes something that is horizontal and we have a relationship with one another. You heard Pastor Paul talk earlier about we're better together, we're called to community, we're called to be involved in one another's lives. That is the call of a believer, not just simply this vertical but a horizontal relationship. We see it in the cross every time we look at it. We're reminded of the being that points to heaven. We understand that heaven has come down. Jesus Christ was sent to us, lived a perfect life did nothing wrong, and loved people so much, he spread out his arms on that cross to carry our sin and our shame, and he bled and died, taking the full wrath of God that was due us, it was placed on him. He was buried, didn't stay buried, on the third day, comes back to life, and once again, he ascended to heaven, where he sits now at the right hand of God. It's that vertical relationship up there, down here, but now he has sent back his Holy Spirit to empower us, not just for a vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, but to empower us in our relationship with others around us. So we don't want to just keep this message to ourselves. We want to do the message we, we, we want to be like Jesus, not just know about him. But that's where a lot of it stops for us sometimes, just in knowing what we ought to do or having good intentions about blessing others, sharing Christ with others, offering hope. 
And I know what that's like in my own life, to, to know the right thing and have good intentions but not do it, to, to just coast. There's something in us that just calls us to say, no, good enough. I, I've gone as far as I really need to go here. I don't need to, to push into my relationship with my heavenly father anymore. Like, I'm good. I, I really don't need to extend myself and give myself away and serve others around me. I'm gonna take an easy road. But that's not the call of God. The call of God is not so that you and I would just kind of coast in our spiritual lives, but the call of God is to enter into what I would say is an adventurous life, a life that is lived in faith, looking with the eyes of Christ to the world around us. And this is what he called his early disciples to. That's why we're turning to Matthew 10, verse one. Look at the adventurous life that they were involved in. It says in Matthew 10, verse one, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, that's demons, to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, maybe in the past you've been told, well, there's not anything really like demons, and so what they thought was demons were really just medical conditions. Here, there's a distinct differentiation. There are demons, there are evil spirits, and there is sickness that is separate than that. So to heal every affliction as well, and here's the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is the message that John the Baptist came preaching, if you recall, before Jesus started his public ministry. He would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus comes along, starts his public ministry, and what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's sending out his disciples, and they're gonna have a message to preach as well, which is the very same message that John had, that Jesus had, now they have, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is why I stand up here in this spot from time to time, and I say to you, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know why? Because you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now. He goes on, heal the sick, raise the dead. This is an adventure. They would show up at a funeral and be like, no, you're not dead anymore, go ahead, get back up. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Look, you guys, you're going out on an adventure. Don't take anything with you. It'd be like me saying right now, look, we're ending the service, we're going over to Schildemeyer right now, and we're going door to door. Don't take anything with you, we're just going, and we're going on an adventure. Freak some of us out, but this is what Jesus is saying to them. You're gonna go, don't take anything else with you, you're going on an adventure, you got one thing you're taking, and that is the gospel good news, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you're going to have the ability to watch miraculous things happen and occur, because the kingdom has come. And he says this, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, 
It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So he says, I want you to go. I want you to go out. I want you to meet needs. I want you to spread some hope. I want you to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is a hand. They need to repent and enter into new life. They were on an adventure. They were called to that. And I think too often what we do in our lives, rather than be disciples of Jesus Christ, who have been called out to take part in what he is doing in this world, you and I, we settle. We settle in our spiritual lives. We settle for just doing, you know, American Christianity, which is I'm just going to come into a church, do my hour, feel good about myself, and go my way. And we stay stuck. Perhaps there's something in your life right now that you're not dealing with that you know that you need to deal with in order to get you into fellowship with your heavenly father to allow that vertical relationship to grow and become stronger. Maybe there's something going on in your, in your relationships around you that you're not dealing with that God wants you to deal with. But rather than do that, you're paralyzed where you are. It leaves you lame spiritually. But God has called us to more. And I'm not sure what it might be in your life that has the tendency to keep you from moving into this life of adventure, of knowing God fully and letting him be known to others around you. I don't know if it's your past. Some of you in here, you're stuck in your past because something happened to you, very painful. Maybe you did something to somebody else and you are not willing or can't forgive at this point or you can't forgive yourself in this moment. Maybe for some of you, the thing that's holding you back from the life of Christ and this adventurous life that he's calling you to, maybe it's your present. Maybe there's something that's in your life right now that you know that you need to deal with. Maybe it's a besetting sin, a sin that continues to come back over and over and over again, and you have lost all hope that you could ever get past that and move on. You're in a hopeless position because of your present and not understanding that you can have hope through the power of God when you yield your life to him completely and allow him to sanctify you, make you more and more like him to help you overcome your present and what's going on. Maybe it's your future. Maybe you're just filled with anxiety with what lies ahead. And so that is holding you back from the dreams and the vision that God has planted in your heart and you're unwilling to risk. I don't know what it might be in your life right now that's holding you back from the fullness of God, whether it's your past, your present, or your future. But that is the spot where we cannot remain paralyzed, but we must press on in our faith, becoming more like Jesus Christ, knowing him and making him known to others. That's our call. And rather than, than deal with those kinds of things, a lot of times what we end up doing is just simply, you know, not even asking other people for help, or we don't even go to God for help in those areas. We, we just kind of settle for what we want rather than what we need. It's like a kid. If you ask the kid, what, what do you want to eat? I have yet to hear a kid say, I would love a plate of lima beans. Right, give me some broccoli and some spinach on the side. No, we, we ask for what we want. I know what I need. I need fruits and vegetables. I want a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. Like all to me. I'm not sharing with anybody. Like the whole thing for me, fudge in the middle, that sweet stuff on top. Service is over. Let's go eat, right? Like I, that's what I want. So we end up asking for what we want rather than what we need. And as a result, we end up getting stuck and we end up getting paralyzed where we are. We start saying, no, this is as high as I can go in my relationship with God. This, this circumstance is hopeless and I can't trust God to be hopeless. 
full. That is not the call of God. You have not been called by God to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to simply sit and soak, but to enter into the adventurous life, allowing him to continually transform you, making him more and more like his son, and then to take him with you everywhere you go so that others know about him. But instead, we end up paralyzed. And what I want to show you, it comes from the book of Acts 3 to to illustrate this. So if you would, uh, flip over to the book of of Acts. So if you're in Matthew, just keep flipping to the right. You'll find Acts. We'll be at Acts 3, verse 1. We're going to see someone who was in a hopeless situation. And it began to turn, and he became very hopeful. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth. So you gotta gotta picture that. This guy has never walked. Picture a man who has never walked. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So this man has been in a hopeless state all his life, and he has been in a hopeless state for so long, rather than ask for what he needs, he's asking for what he wants. He needs to walk, he wants change. Now, I don't know whether or not he knows who Peter and John is, has any concept of who Jesus is, but I think in this moment, it is pretty indicative of our own lives where we just simply kind of settle. Like we just settle for what we want or what we believe we can have and we don't move on asking for what we need. So in our own lives, we're paralyzed and we settle. We settle for the sexual sin. We, we settle for the addiction. We settle for the bad relationship. We settle for the, the bad marriage. We settle for spiritual mediocrity. We settle for emotional baggage and staying stuck where we are. This man has settled. He's settled into, I have no hope. This is where I'm gonna be all my life. And so he's asking just for what he wants rather than in this moment to ask for the impossible. And I think that it's time for us to go ahead and leave safety and mediocrity and to begin to move in the direction of hope and faith and trust and seeking God for what he wants in our lives. And the reason I think that we seek mediocrity and just saying, good enough, I've gone as far as I'm going to go, I'm not pressing in anymore in my God time or in my worship of him or in the way that I live my life in this community around me, the reason we do that is because mediocrity is safe. It's safe for you not to dream. It's safe for you not to have vision. It's safe to keep doing what you have always done. It's like this lame person who says, look, I'm, I might as well just give up. You just carry me everywhere. You know, in our spiritual life, we're like, hey, can you do that for me? I don't want to serve. You serve. I'm paralyzed. I, I'm just going to sit and beg. I don't want to do anything for myself to feed myself spiritually, to serve others around me. You serve me. That's a paralyzed mentality. And some of us have settled into a life that is lame and broken rather than to ask God, God, move into those lame and broken places that I have been paralyzed and God, I'm gonna put my hope and trust in you that you will do something to move me from this spot. But we fail to do that because that would be risky. It's risky to step out and to try the impossible or to believe for something, especially when you're in a hopeless position to have hope. But what we need, I think, are pioneers pioneers of faith who are willing to begin to pray to God, asking him to do even supernatural things among us. 
Things that, that we think, well, I don't know if God can or if he will, but I'm going to trust him for this. I believe it's time for us to go ahead and just put our faith and our trust in a great big God and trust him for those things in our life that we thought, well, I could never get past that circumstance. I could never get past that sin. God will never save that person. He did it for them. He won't do it for me. If we could just find some people who would be willing to take their faith and lift it up to a great big God, not trying to get him to conform to what we want or control him or move him or manipulate him, but to simply in trust, we are going to pray to you, God, and we are going to pray for miracles, that the people who come here and hear your word, that you would change their heart, that you would enter in, that you would soften those hearts, that you would begin to restore marriages, that you would make a difference in our community. You would take what is dark and you would shed the light of Jesus Christ into every household until our community has changed. It would be nice if some pioneers would rise up and say, God, I'm going to pray to you for the impossible. No more paralyzed. We trust you. Just some of you. If we could just move in this direction of faith, imagine what God will do. But we're stuck asking just for the things that we want rather than the things that we need. And for some of us in this room right now, our greatest need is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you thought maybe Christianity was just, you know, maybe if I can get to church and get some right knowledge, or if I can get to church and maybe start getting some right behavior, but what I'm telling you is you need a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Right knowledge and right behavior is fantastic, but all of that flows from a right relationship with the maker of this world, Jesus Christ, the one who spoke the world into existence this word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know him. Your greatest need is Jesus. For some of you, you, you know Jesus and he knows you. You have a relationship and in this moment, perhaps your greatest need is to repent of sin. There's something that you've allowed to, to seep into your life and you keep going back to it over and over again and you need to bring that to God in faith once again and say, God, I need to overcome in this area and I cannot do it on my own. I've tried it on my own. I need your help and I will believe you for this. You need to repent of sin. For some of you in the room, God has given you some dreams and some vision about what he would have you to do to impact his kingdom, to bring up there down here that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, but you're afraid. You're afraid to risk, you're afraid to step out. Because not knowing where you're going to land after you take that step of faith and move in towards that dream and vision that God has given you, that's always risky and it's an uncertain place to be. That's why that I'm, I've written this book and we're gonna release it in September and we're gonna do a series in October. That's a shameless plug for a free book that you're gonna get. We're gonna talk about uncertainty. All of us face uncertainty where we're just not quite sure about the next move. But that's, just, that's the story of every individual in scripture. Not quite knowing, but just taking the next right step. Risking the dream, the vision, the call that God has given to us. I think of Abraham. How Abraham was leaving everything that he knew. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. No idea. Not sure. Hey, Abraham, isn't it a little bit scary to leave your home, to leave your family? Yeah, that's scary. Why would you do it? Because I know I must do this. 
I will step out not knowing the end result. There's uncertainty, yes, but I know that my God is there. I think about people like Esther and Nehemiah approaching the king, even though it might be scary, even though Esther did it at the risk of her own life. She had to step out. She had to do it afraid, if you will. I think about the disciples and how the disciples were approached by Jesus, and Jesus comes and says, hey, why don't you leave your job, leave your family, and come follow me? Where are we going? I'll show you. Just start following me. There's always that risk. There's always that uncertainty. Friends, this is the call of God to us to enter into the adventurous life, to trust him, not to trust ourselves, but to embrace what he's calling us to do. This is Peter and John. They have been empowered by the Spirit of God. And it's not enough for them just to know that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are taking the dream and the vision and the call of God to go out and to begin to minister to others seriously. And so that is where they find themselves on the way to the temple, seeing this lame man who's got his hand out asking for some change, verse four. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. So in this moment, something grabs their attention. Like they, they, they just had eyes that were always looking, God, where's the next individual? What is the next thing that you're calling me to? They always had this radar up watching, where is it? And this man grabs a hold of their attention. They may have walked by this guy a number of times, but on this day, the Spirit of God says, nope, you're going to stop. I've got something going on. And then it says, so he says, lift up your gaze. The way I picture this man, he's paralyzed on the ground. I think he's got his head down. He can't see them. Hand out. I just want some change. This is a defeated man. If you want to see hopelessness, it's this man. And so they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. That is a miracle. It is a miracle in this moment. And in this moment, the disciples looked beyond something that looked hopeless, and they saw something hopeful. This, this man was looking for what he wanted, and they saw what he needed, and the man didn't even know it, and so they had to extend hope to him. You are going to encounter people this week when you go back to school and you go back to your job who are hopeless. They don't even know that hope is available. But how will they know that hope is available unless you, carrying the living hope, Jesus Christ, with you, begins to extend that hope to them? I see you're down. I see you're having a tough time. Would it be all right if I prayed for you, you might say? And you have an opportunity to pray to the God of the universe to minister to somebody paralyzed by Hopelessness. When we get to that place of hopelessness, there's a lot of complacency that tends to happen. It washes over us, and we just say, say I'm just going to stay at the gate. I'm just going to stay paralyzed. There's no hope for me. This man decided rather than to ask what he, for what he needed, he kept asking for what he wanted. And Peter and John brought real hope to somebody who didn't even know that hope was coming their way. They're living out literally what Jesus had said in Matthew 10 to take this message of the kingdom and to begin to make a difference all around them, to heal individuals. They are living out Jesus' prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you get glory. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not like someday, I hope, up there comes down here. No, this is a kingdom now kind of movement. I'm going to look with my eyes everywhere I go for opportunity for the kingdom of God to be established in this moment. This lame man didn't believe that there was hope for him any longer. And there are people all around us 
that are paralyzed, and it's not their body that is paralyzed. They're paralyzed by their past, they're paralyzed by their present, or by their future. And maybe that's where you are today, in this place of there's no hope, and I feel hopeless. But you need to push in and realize that it's not enough for you just to continue to ask for what you want, but to ask for the miraculous, that you would receive what you need. Some of you, you want more money. What you need is a generous and content heart. Some of you, you you want to be physically healed, totally healed. What you need is to know the presence and the assurance of God with you right in the middle of that difficulty and that pain. What you want is to be happy, but what you need is fullness of joy that's found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So it's not enough just simply to say, I want these things. God, there are things that are deeper in my heart, in my life that I need, and I will trust you for these things. And again, I think some of you, God has placed some dreams on your heart, some vision, some direction, and you're paralyzed by fear of stepping out and doing the next right thing and being a risk taker. But putting direction to your dreams, that allows you to bring this message of hope to more and more people. It wasn't just this one man who was receiving hope. And it's not just Peter and John who I'm sure were just thrilled that the Spirit of God used them in this moment. But every time you and I begin to extend hope to one more person, it's one more opportunity to explain where this hope comes from. And now we have a broader megaphone to continue to tell more and more people where this hope comes from. I believe our culture, I believe our community is ready for a church, a group of people who will extend hope and share love. And as you do that with one individual, you think it may not mean much, but it does. They're going to ask where that hope comes from. Why would you do that? Because it is so unlike anything else that this world is offering. And you can say, this only comes from the love that God has put inside of my heart. And it can't stay there because it's filled to overflowing and it's got to go somewhere. So you're getting some love. And you're getting some hope. It's coming your way. Putting some feet, some direction to our hope. It begins to expand. Watch what happens next. Acts 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, and I think he's clinging to them, not just like, to, like, hey, help hold me up, because this man isn't just walking. It earlier said that he was walking and leaping, and he's shouting for joy, which is miraculous. Like, I mean, it's one thing to be healed of being paralyzed, but he was walking right away. That took me nine months, nine months to learn how to walk. This guy's doing it immediately. Yes, miracle, you, you can now stand. He's walking, and he's filled with joy. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, because they keep going by this guy day after day, averting their eyes, like, oh man, there's the panhandler again, averting their eyes, not wanting to interact with him. They are astounded. They know him. They've seen him over and over. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he saw an opportunity for a sermon. It says, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? This wasn't a show. 
Peter and John aren't the, the stars of the show. Peter and John aren't, you know, slapping a sticker on the side of a trailer and going around like, here's our healing ministry. Peter and John come see us. No, this isn't about us. There's a God in heaven to which he gets all of the glory. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Everybody in the room, you remember that? Remember when Jesus is standing there? You got Barabbas on the other side, and you're like, hey, give us Barabbas, the murderer. Crucify Jesus. Crucify him. That's on your head, Peter's saying. Talk about conviction at church. Pastor Chris talked about sin today. He's saying it pretty strong. You killed Jesus. But he had a plan. And that plan was for your good. The plan was for your salvation. His sermon goes on, it's just a great sermon, you should read it sometime, Acts 3 and then Acts 4, just powerful, powerful words. And it continues on all the way to Acts 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Hope had feet, it touched one person, and it impacted thousands. Where will hope carry your feet this week? What life will you touch? What will you do with the hope that God has given to you? What will you believe God for in faith and trust? What's your greatest need? For some of you, the greatest need is to understand that your greatest need is you are separated from God because of your sin. But your greatest need has been met by Jesus Christ because of his shed blood on the cross for your sins so that you might know him in a relationship. Your greatest need is to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's your greatest need. You gotta start there. And some of you, you've, you've come to church and you've heard about Jesus. I mean, you've, you've grown up and you know about Jesus and you like him and great guy and all that stuff and you're a fan of Jesus. He doesn't need more fans. He needs followers. Fans are fickle and fair weather. Fans are just, you know, flighty. Followers, followers are faithful and they're gonna be with him through thick and thin and maybe today is the day that you say, I'm gonna have a relationship with him. Do you know how you begin a relationship with Jesus? You pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. And there's a lot of other things kind of swirling around my head that I think I might need, but above all things, I need you. I need to know that I'm right with my creator. And I thank you that you have moved in my direction. For others of you, your, your greatest need today is to come back into fellowship with the Heavenly Father that you've been walking away from because of perpetual sin greatest need is to repent. For some of you, your greatest need is to take the dream and the vision that God has given to you, to impact the world around you and no longer keep it to yourself, but to begin to move in the direction of people all around you who are hopeless and don't know that there is hope available. Where will hope carry your feet? Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, it's really easy for me to get into a routine, just to come to church, to do the thing, and then to let it go. But God, we don't want to be people who just simply hear the word and we don't do the word. And so, Father, I pray in this moment that it would be more than just words from a book, words from a person on the platform, more than just songs and notes, but it would be an interaction with you, the living God, moving our hearts toward you. Thank you, Father, for in this moment, 
I pray for each heart that has been softened with an understanding that I need a relationship with Jesus. That is my greatest need. And Lord, as they pray today, Lord, I need you. Thank you for answering that prayer 2,000 years ago with your son, with his death and his resurrection from the grave, who's available in this moment. Thank you for translating them from death to life. Thank you, Father, that as we approach you, we know that we are not paralyzed by sin or the enemy, but we have faith in you to continue to move us in the direction of great hope. God, provide that kind of transformation and change and breakthrough in all of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.